Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. I come to you today with a replacement show for the show that I had hoped to give you. Alas, Omicron, uh, the beer bug, has ravaged my family over the last two weeks, and it keeps making little comebacks, even though it's just a cold. So I'm going to kick the show, the coming out party, if you will, of Ask Your Husband, with none other than the beautiful Stephanie Gordon for a, a day or two down the road. That's going to be a live event worth attending. The Ask Your Husband release party show. It's going to be great. We're getting contacted about this book already. It's exciting. We're ahead of the release date, which is, I think, February 1. And people are getting their books in the mail. We got our books, and it's been, it's been a great time. I mean, it's just... Steph is behind the scenes here with a cold. Say, what's up, Steph? Um, an amazing book. And what we're going to be talking about with the Ask Your Husband release party will range from why this book is unique, why this book doesn't violate the, uh, the out-of-home-to-income uh, requirement, admonition of the Roman Catholic Church, why... Why exactly it's unique amongst all the other books, even on great other books on Tan and Sophia, one of which is my own, The Case for Patriarchy on Sophia books. There are other great books on Tan, like The Anti-Mary Exposed, but why is Ask Your Husband legitimately sui generis? It's, it's one thing to try to write a book that's one of a kind, but my wife, Stephanie Gordon, has written an anti-feminism book that's one of a kind. And Steph can shed some real insight on how she did that. First off, the letters to Titus and, and Timothy and 1 Corinthians in the Bible instruct that women are allowed to teach the other women, which is why this book, Ask Your Husband, is so expertly directed at specifically wives. Wives, prospective wives, would-be wives, who are maybe at the beginning of dating, it's directed at young women and, and women who are in marriages and have maybe developed some bad habits over the last 20 years. Steph, along with myself, has given advice to married couples who contact us, sometimes over the phone, often through email, a lot of times through our Patreon messages, so much over the last three years that you would not believe it, saying, how do I overcome these bad habits of 10 years of marriage feminism? 20 years of marriage via feminism, even 30 years of marriage via feminism. It's not too late. It's never too late. And Ask Your Husband hits the reader with some truly unique and novel perspectives that are truly unique and novel without being counterintuitive. Often, Anyone who's ever written a dissertation understands they, can, they have to be unique and novel only by being counterintuitive and saying weirdo things. Not Steph here. Listen to the table of contents. I, I really enjoy it. Chapter one, the basics. Do whatever he tells you. Just Christian teaching. Chapter two, why this book isn't a performed contradiction. When I did my show with Boss over the weekend... Tons of idiotic comments flooded in saying, oh, no two-income trap, eh, Tim? What about this book? Well, two-income trap refers specifically to a wifely out-of-the-home second income. That is, to repeat, a wifely out-of-the-home second income, which the church for 20 centuries, that is to say two millennia, 
has always condemned. Even late 20th century Vatican II popes condemned it, okay? Even JP II, who wanted to imagine a new Christian feminism, condemned out-of-the-home second income. And inside-the-home second income is very, very well-precedented. And, and, you know, anyone who's ever written a book knows you don't, you don't get much from the book anyway. So chapter two is why this book isn't a performed contradiction. Also, women can teach only other women, typically younger women, particularly younger wives. That comes right from the teachings of St. Paul in three books of the New Testament, people. You're not going to catch us out. <laughs> I've told you this before. Not on this issue anyway. You're not going to catch me or Steph out on the feminism issue. Uh, table of content, chapter three, an obedient wife is actually man's best friend. Hilarious and genius chapter title. Uh, chapter four, unplugging from the culture of lies. Chapter five, inerrant Catholic teaching versus working wives. That's, that's one where there's a lot of overlap with my book, just going through all the magisterial teachings against out of the home, away from the home, second income. Chapter six, wear what he likes, do what he likes. Far and away, the simultaneously most controversial and common sense chapter of this book. It's written so entertainingly, I got to give it to Steph, that this book, Ask Your Husband, is just, it's going to be a smash hit. I, I'm telling you right now, more than case for patriarchy, it's going to be a smash hit. Uh, Wear what he likes, do what he likes is the title of chapter six. Common sense and controversial. When I had Mr. Mr. Uh, Elliot Hulse on my show, we were talking about common sense controversy is the funnest kind because you can't be wrong and you get to be provocative. Chapter seven, Steph called it the obligatory complimentary chapter on women. Hilarious. Chapter eight, the leader who won't lead. And then a, a beautiful short epilogue. Ask Your Husband is out now. Go to Tan Books. It's really exciting. We're really happy with it. It looks beautiful. It's a very handsome cover. And um, we will be having the release party the next show, hopefully tomorrow or Friday. Uh, you could still hear in my voice, I am Omicron. Iron Man just won't lead the Gordon household. It won't leave us alone. And as soon as Steph, who's about halfway through her, her pregnancy with our seventh child, is feeling up to par, she's behind the scenes today coughing like, uh, like an old haggard peasant. Um, she, she'll be back. She'll be back with me and we will have our Ask Your Husband release party. Okay. You know, I don't like to badger you guys. It's the new year. It's 2022. I have to do some badgering. First off, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and please do leave a comment on this video. A nice one if you can. If you can muster it. We're all grouchy and grumpy in 2022, but if you can muster it, get a lovely comment or at least a provocative comment, not just Hey, Tim, I hate your mustache, which we'll assume it. Everyone hates this mustache. <laughs> also, I hate to badger you, but the main way <laughs> that you could keep me, I'm writing my fourth, fifth, and sixth books right now, mainly my fourth, keep me going, keep even Steph going. If we can get an encore book from her after her first, Ask Your Husband, doing what we do, speaking, giving advice, doing this from from, you know, the perspective of a Roman Catholic hyper-conservative is to help us through Patreon. That's how you can most directly support the show. I try not to bring it up every show, and I don't, but people say, bring it up more, man. Go to Timothy J. Gordon Patreon. You can also indirectly support Steph if you, if you are a big supporter of Ask Your Husband. Some people are already getting their books and are getting excited about it. 
If you want to support Steph, you can also do it basically at that at that place. It's it's the page for myself and all dependents. <laughs> so so Patreon is is the best way to support this show. You can also buy the case for patriarchy, my not old book, three months old. Uh, anti-feminism book from a distinctly Catholic perspective by any of the great books. I would point this out because this came up on Twitter the other day. I'm very proud of the fact that my first book, Catholic Republic, moved, shipped 10,000 plus units. That's the, the mark for book publishers. I'm very proud that for Tan Books, my second book with Brother Dave, uh, the, the uh, flagship, the title of this program Rules for Retrogrades, moved, shipped over 10,000 units. And on the basis of those two books, it was before The Case for Patriarchy came out, I was extended this fourth book, which I'm co-authoring with Dr. Michael Robillard, called Don't Go to College, which will be out this summer, later this summer. And it's on the big, the, the white whale, uh, the big tuna of conservative worldwide publishing, the number one con uh, publisher of conservative books which is Regnery. President's books are on Regnery. And because my first two efforts and because you people, you good people out there have purchased, most of you, uh, those first two books, Catholic Republican Rules for Retrogrades, at such a large rate, Regnery said, hey, we, we want to give you a shot. And Don't Go to College, which is a, a right-wing revolution book, Don't Go to College, will be out this summer it gave me a real shot on Regnery, which was always the dream to have a book on Regnery. So God bless you all. Thank you. Please keep the indirect way to support me and this program and, and staff is to buy the books. Um, it's a one-time deal and it's very helpful and you get a book for it. Uh, the more direct way is Patreon, Timothy J. Gordon Patreon page. I really appreciate it. It goes a great distance. Okay. Also get a your blue state, get to a red state, go to realestateforlife.org realestateforlife.org. It's 2022. Get the heck out of blue states. Get to red states, particularly the broad blood red swath of states from Texas to California, from Texas to Florida. Now, Macron is still infecting my brain. Texas to Florida. Go to realestateforlife.org. Do it now before house prices go up too much because conservatives who are savvy are getting from Texas to Florida. Okay, today as a is a quick sort of alternative um, as we postpone the Steph book release party, Ask Your Husband, there, there's a great topic that hit about a week ago in the pages of uh, Opinion Editorial, Wall Street Journal, called Why the Catholic Church is Losing in Latin America by uh, Francis X. Roca. Conservative Pentecostals make huge inroads despite the region's first pope, Pope Francis the Humble. Uh, Brazil, the largest Catholic country in the world, is poised to become minority Catholic as soon as later this year, 2022. So this show is one more way to point at the evil of the man, Pope Francis, who attacks us Catholic liturgical traditionalists. There's a difference between a, a trad writ large and, and a liturgical traditionalist. I definitely am the latter. And um, Francis hates me. He hates you. You know that, parish orphans and retrogrades. The Pope's hatred of you, along with, you know, his forebearers in the episcopate over the last 60 years, is what makes you parish orphans and retrogrades. 
because you are a liturgical traditionalist. He hates you. And guess what? There's one more metric. If we could put that graph up, that would be excellent. Look at this metric for Latin America churching over the last um, decades. Look at, if you will, in this graph here, the metric for the Latin America church attendance, Catholic church attendance, from 2013 to now. Linearly down. Linearly downward trending. Linearly, precipitously falling. Look at that. 2013 to now. The, I think, I haven't, I haven't crunched those numbers, but I think that is the most linearly downsliding uh, trend of that entire 30-year span being shown on the graph is when we are living under the reign of the first Latin American Pope. The first Latin American Pope who not only shares, you know, uh, it's not an ethnicity because he's actually an, uh, an Italian national uh, born in Argentina uh, and raised by two Italians in Argentina, but shares a country with and a region with the Latin Americans, this was supposed to be one of the draws of having the first Latin American Pope, was to continue to stoke the interest of Latin Americans. Fail. He also, in the first three or four years of the pontificate, talked to, uh, in no small volume, in no small volume of words either, about the need to reach out to the poor. Total fail. Total failure. I'm going to read to you uh, the first couple of paragraphs of why the, La the Catholic Church is losing Latin America. And you could be the judge. Begins like this. Tatiana Apresida uh, de Jesus used to walk the city streets as a sex worker, high on crack cocaine, pulling no punches in the first line here, getting right to business. Last year, the mother of five joined a small Pentecostal congregation in downtown Rio, called Sanctification in the Lord, and she left her old life behind. The pastor hugged me without asking anything, said Miss De Jesus, 41 years old, who was raised a Catholic and is one of more than a million Brazilians who have joined an evangelical or Pentecostal church since the beginning of the pandemic, according to researchers. When you're poor, it makes so much of a difference when someone just says good morning to you, good afternoon, or shakes your hand. So... Let's pause it right there. Pope Francis, the humble, the people's pope, according to what we were told the first year or two that he sat in the high chair, has failed utterly. Let that sink in. His own regionistas, his own countrymen from Latin America do not like him have not been attracted to the Catholic Church at even a replacement rate. That is to say, to keep the line horizontally flat in terms of church attendance in the Latin American region. Remember, Pope Francis has, according to reports, not ever returned to Argentina. And there is a, no small amount of speculation as to why. He's not popular there. He's not liked there. I mean, he's not loved there, let alone he's not even liked there. So this was a ruse. The Sancte Gallen Mafia gave us the Francis Pontificate, according to this other great book on Tan, Sancte Gallen Mafia. I think, I think Miss 
Mrs. Julia Maloney makes the case rather plain. Partly under the auspices of, look, we need a pope that will attract Latin Americans to church. And yet, those of his country, those of uh, seven other countries in the region, including the largest Catholic country in the world, Brazil, Brazil, uh, have stopped going to church. And why? I want to I point out four facts throughout today's show. It's a, it's a simple show, but I want to point out four facts. Firstly, number one. Liberation theology is what predominated the region of Latin America in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. As you can imagine, it depends on how much you know about liberation theology. I'd like to do a show soon on it. Uh, Lots of liberation theologians that are in places of high power under Francis is, at the very least, a very, very, very liberal theology, a radical liberal theology, specifically directed at Latin American poor people. And it's lost out to right-wing Pentecostalism, right-wing Protestant evangelization in the region. Uh, According to this article, quote-unquote, helping to propel right-wing president Jair Bolsonaro to power in 2018. Not the fact that he was a liberation theologian, because he wasn't, but the fact that he was a conservative Pentecostal. This was supposed to be, you know, as of 10, 20, 30 years ago, this was supposed to be held against him popularly at the ballot box, according to the the old narrative. What was the old narrative? That Latin America is a Catholic region, and we Catholics don't like to vote for Pentecostals. And according to the liberal Jesuits at the time who are pushing liberation theology so hard, They thought, hey, we're giving you this free stuff, this basically Catholic socialism, liberation theology. The region likes Catholicism, the Jesuits reasoned, and the the region likes socialism, the Jesuits also reasoned in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Well, guess what? This ain't going to shock you guys. (laughs) Jesuits are wrong usually. There are a couple good ones, but they're almost always wrong. The region no longer likes Catholicism, and the region no longer even likes socialism. I don't think it ever liked socialism. If you ask the really poor people, socialism makes them poor. But the proof of this, the great metric is the graph on the screen. Is it still on the screen? Yeah, bar bar graph now. Um, And the fact that Jair Bolsonaro, world-famous leader, right? Jair Bolsonaro rose to power in 2018 as a Pentecostal right-wing Catholic, not a left, uh, sorry, right-wing Pentecostal rather than as some sort of left-wing liberation theology Catholic. That's one of the proofs. Francis and his cronies are wrong. Now, one quick point of distinction before we move to point two. Francis did oppose liberation theology as uh, a younger man. Remember, as a younger man, he was actually conservative. So he, Francis has never been into it. He, he kind of, I, I, I explain it thus. During the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, Francis was a conservative. Um, and conservatives did not like liberation theology. As he shifted into becoming a liberal, 80s, 90s, 2000s, liberation theology was falling further and further from grace, uh, from the popular graces. So... That that's one uh, that's one way to explain it. 
But, but during the heyday of liberation theology, Francis was a great follower of sort of right-wing, weirdo right-wing uh, leader Juan Perón. So Francis was never a liberation theology guy, but he has lots of liberation theology dinosaurs that he has ascended to power because once a liberal, always a liberal is the more common case. Francis is a little different. Remember, Pope Benedict XVI is a liberal who became a conservative. Francis is the opposite, a conservative, a kind of conservative who became a liberal. Point number two about Francis the Humble ruining Latin American Catholicism, or at least continuing to ruin it. Um, <clears throat> it's a simple point, and I've mentioned it already. Later this year, in 2022, if the numerical demographical trends continue, the Vatican, the church, is expected to lose, meaning to shift from a, a majority to a minority, the biggest Roman Catholic country in the world, Brazil. Brazil. It's supposed to be Catholic. And guess what? It's not going to be in another 6, 9, 12, 15 months if these trends continue. I'm just giving the lie to one of the many false premises for you know, standing for the proposition that a Francis, a Bergoglio pontificate, was good back in 2013. I'm not disputing that he's Pope. I'm just saying... The, idea, the proposition of a Francis pontificate has been bad, bad, bad from the beginning. You lost, you we're about to lose Brazil, the largest Catholic country in the world. It's losing out to conservative Protestant theology. And of course, um, you know, there are metrics for this that I've already read. But so point number one, liberation theology lost to Pentecostalism. Point number two, it's losing specifically in the largest Catholic country in the world, Brazil. And... Um, Point numbers three and four are my favorite, and I'm, I, I saved them for last because I relish, with a little more detail, articulating them because of my mistrust for, and yes, even resentment for, the current pontiff. If I'm, I'm just an honest guy, I tell you, look, I do pray for the Pope, but uh, I don't appreciate this Pope much. And I look forward to the first day of the next pontificate with not much hope, but with some relish. Okay? Like, like when you're eating a hot dog, you don't have much hope, but you, you take a lot of relish with it, right? That's how we'll take the, the 267th pontificate. Probably going to be bad. Hopefully it won't be quite as bad as, as Francis. So um, according to this Wall Street Journal op-ed I'm reading from called, I'll put it in the show notes, Why the Catholic Church is Losing Latin America, it can best be explained, point number three, uh, by looking at the, quote, failures to satisfy the religious and social demands of the people, especially the poor. Now, under the Francis pontificate, there has been little or no outreach and very, very much rigidity by Pope Francis, particularly to the poor. Pope Francis has given no outreach. And by outreach, I mean evangelization. Think of this prostitute from the first lines of the article, Tatiana Presida de Jesus. They spelled Jesus. She used to walk the city streets as a sex worker, high in crack cocaine, and she left her native Catholicism 
for conservative Pentecostalism because they gave the right one-two Christian punch of you got to leave your old life. We hate the sin, but we love you. We love the sinner. As much as Francis has made hay, seeming like the way liberals, radicals, are always good at seeming like they have this one-two punch down. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Hate the sin, love the sinner. He's horrible at it, as all liberals, as all radicals are. There is no left Catholic that's a true Catholic. Like secular humanists, they love the sin and hate the sinner. Do you understand that? Do you people understand that? The Francis pontificate has failed for one reason above all others. Because as a liberal Catholic, a very far-left liberal Catholic now, notwithstanding his conservative youth, you cannot be a good Catholic. You cannot evangelize well if you love the sin and hate the sinner. By the way, whose, whose philosophy is this? Loving the sin and hating the sinner. It's Satan's. Satan loves the sin and hates the sinner. Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to talk about this... this um, about face, pulled by um, Jesus, uh, pulled by Satan with respect to Jesus before and after the sin. But when you're about to sin, imagine Jesus on this shoulder, Jesus's voice rather in this ear, and and the devil's voice in this ear. It should be the other way around. Le- left ear Satan, right ear Jesus. Jesus is saying, "Don't do it." Don't do it. Even though that sin seems fun, that way lies death, that way lies sickness and suffering at the very least. And death and the death of your relationship with the Holy Trinity. Don't do it. So Jesus is kind of the heavy, whereas Satan is on the other shoulder saying, go ahead, man's freedom, freedom, do what you want. That's not freedom, right? That's not liberty. Liberty is the freedom to do the good. That is a perversion, a subversion, an inversion of freedom known as license. But Satan seems like your friend. When you want to do something, when you want to not study for that test, Satan's going, yeah, don't study. It's too late. Jesus is like, no, it's not too late. It's never too late to do the right thing. Just boil some coffee, study for the test. Or don't, you know, don't, don't go out. Don't stay out past your curfew, you know, little, little Johnny teenager. Don't do it. Where Satan's saying, yeah, do it. You can do it. But then after the sin, because Satan hates the sinner and loves the sin, then all of a sudden they swap places. Then all of a sudden Satan's nowhere to be found. He vanishes. He accomplished his goal, assuming that in this case he was successful. He got the sinner to sin. He vanishes. He's got you. See you in X amount of years. See you down below. I got you. Don't, don't. He's going to turn a cold shoulder to you. Whereas Jesus then says, come, I will help you get through this. Go to confession, reform your life, reform your ways, reconcile to my father. Go to confession. It's it's never too late. The only sin that is unforgivable is the sin of saying that it's too late for forgiveness. That's what the, the, the gospel teaches very explicitly. The one sin against the spirit is saying it's too late and God can't forgive any sin he wants. It's the one unforgivable sin because it's technically, naturally, logically unforgivable. Okay, and this has been Francis. I'm not saying Francis is the devil. I don't know why anyone would ever think that, right? He's a little devilish most of the time, but he's not the devil. 
he has failed to satisfy the religious and social demands of the people. Now, I don't know what the social demands mean. This gets a little bit like people will go to whichever religious off- religion offers them the most bread and circuses. I don't really like that. But, but hey, they should, in a truly poor country that's been smitten with the scourge of socialism, the poverty is not the fault of the people, and, and the church can give some outreach, as it did in the 4th, uh, 5th, 6th centuries in the Roman Empire. The church did give some, some bread out, not so much circuses. But it wasn't the fault. The poverty was not the fault of the people in socialist countries. So Francis has failed in toto. He's failed to help the poor. He's failed to love the poor in spirit. He has proven the most rigid, hateful, spiteful, petty, mean-spirited father, abusive stepfather that can be imagined. He hates the liturgical traditionalists. He's called us names. He's trying to thumb our eyes. He's trying to destroy the Latin mass altogether. It's despicable. You know, you've heard me do debates and talks and technical analyses on whether or not he can do that versus should. That's a whole different issue. He absolutely should not be doing this. And because he's Pope, and because he's a petty, hateful, spiteful, mean, mean-hearted man, uh, famously so, once, once the veneer of the first or second year of the media veneer of his pontificate wore thin, everyone knows it now. He is just a mean-hearted guy. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with guy. That's who he is. So you were duped. I'm sorry to say, if you ever bought for one second, for one month, one week of this pontificate that Francis was the Pope of the people, the Pope of outreach. He's not. His outreach has failed. And this includes outreach to the poor, which is probably the special interest group he's talked more about. That brings us to final point, number four. What is his gravest failure of outreach? Evangelization. Francis, at the end of the day, for all of his bluster about, uh, you know, slurring evangelization, right? What is what does he call? I always forget the word. There's there's a pejorative word for evangelization he always uses, uh, and I always forget it when I'm doing a show. Evangelization. <laughs> Evangelization's a dirty word for Francis. It's a four letter word for Francis. But maybe someone someone call it out in the comments. It's the it's the noun that he always uses in place of it. It's it's a it's a pejorative connotation spun onto evangelization. But he always says, "Look, it's bad. I'm not going to bother evangelizing you people in Latin America. I'm not going to do it. I don't don't worry. I'm not going to be a heavy." And it turns out that Francis saying, I'm not going to bother to evangelize Latin America. Don't worry about it, guys. Proselytizing. Stephanie Harris. Stephanie Harris. Ten gold stars to Stephanie Harris. Thank you, Stephanie. Hope you're doing well, Stephanie. Proselytizing. (laughs) He always says, look, I'm not going to proselytize. Don't worry. What does that mean? I remember saying the second or third month of this pontificate back in early summer of 2013. He started saying, look, don't proselytize. It's a sin to proselytize. I'm like, I know I, I, I can look up and, and uh, appreciate the contrast in the two ratios or definitions of proselytize and evangelize. And there's nothing appreciably thick that I can say, oh, they're way different. He's just saying don't evangelize. And he's been saying it his entire damned pontificate. 
He has. Don't evangelize, don't proselytize, says Francis. And guess what? That's one promise that he's made good on. And guess what? That is a promise that he's made good on that the people of his native region, Latin America, resent him for. They say, as, as, as point number three made clear, the Pentecostals, they outreach to us. They're not telling us socialism is the way. The Pentecostals are giving us conservative moral theology. They're telling us, no, 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 you can't. But you can't. You can't get divorced. You can't. They should be saying you can't contracept. You can't do these things. Not because we enjoy being the heavier telling you that we are the delimiter of your, your sovereign behavior, behavioral actions, but because we want you to go to heaven. And the evangelicals are good enough and making clear that, look, by us saying can't, same as you tell your kids, I tell my kids, it's because I love you so much. I'm your daddy. That's your father up in heaven. I'm just trying to steward you in the right direction so you get there. That's my job. And that involves a great deal of saying you can't, particularly early in life, particularly to young cultures. And by young cultures, I don't mean age demographics. I mean cultures that are, are, are further from the light, third world cultures, right? Do not have a good, um, a, a, solid, a solid culture in the Christian tradition. Don't have a solid political economy. Don't have a solid leadership in the country or infrastructure or any of that. So the people outright resent that Francis made good on this promise not to proselytize or evangelize. Um, note the total failure in this direction of the late 2018 Amazon Synod. I believe it's the late October 2018 Amazon Synod. This is actually taking place as I did my final shows well, with Taylor Marshall and, and started making my own shows. It was in the middle of the Amazon Synod. As it began, I was still on uh, Dr. Marshall's channel. As it ended, I was starting to make my own content uh, with, with, uh, with Dave and Chris here on this channel. So those are four points, four really, really clear metrics that Francis has failed. Not that you needed to be reminded in order to be convinced. <laughs> you're already convinced. But sometimes once you're convinced, it's nice to, to take a different approach to the metrics and say, oh, this is yet one more way of showing that I'm not imagining this, that I'm not giving into my confirmation bias, which is a very real danger, ain't it, in living out one's faith. I mean, look, Francis is a very irritating person. He puts his thumb in our eye all the time, but I want to make sure that I'm not just always going after him just because he enjoys putting his thumb in the eye of particularly Anglo-American right-wing Catholics. We are his least favorite people on the globe. He loves Marxists more. He loves secular humanists. He loves the, the Germans. He loves the globo homo lobby. He loves everything that you wouldn't expect a faithful Pope to love more than he loves right-wing Anglo-American Catholics. I don't, I don't think he likes right-wing Anglo-American Protestants either. Remember Antonio Spadaro in 2017 said that there was an alliance between these two groups called the uh, Ecumenism of Hatred, which is quite a title. I like that. So there you have it. Francis has failed, and he's failed yet by one more metric. Excellent article reminding us how and why that's the case. Uh, the article is from 
January the 11th, so one week ago today. It's called Why the Catholic Church is Losing Latin America. I also drew a little bit from a Catholic Vote article on this op-ed. The good folks at Catholic Vote have produced a lot of content I use on the show from time to time. So I will link both of those articles in the show notes. The next show, God willing, be it tomorrow or Friday, will be the exciting, the exciting uh, Ask Your Husband release party with none other than Stephanie Gordon. And we're going to be talking in pretty great detail about this book because I know this book well. I can give like the ultimate interview and it's it's just a really exciting book. Order it today for your wives or young women who are prospective wives or engaged people or your boomer relatives that gave in too much to feminism. It's never too late. You're not never too young, never too old to get good habits in particularly in your in your vocation, right? I mean if you're 45 years old, you're probably not going to start playing a new sport and become a pro at it. I'm pretty certain of that. But that doesn't matter. The one way where even if you're 45, 55, 65, and you're really weak in an area, let's say it's your vocation, your marital habits, this is the one way that you get to heaven. Being married is your vocation, your path to heaven. We're not the clergy, you and I. We are the lay. And Ask Your Husband teaches particularly women, young, middle-aged, and old, here's how to get back on the path if you're off of it. Here's how to get back on this. Here's how to get on this path even if you're not on it. You're just a 16, 17, 18-year-old girl considering marriage. There's, there's some TikTok videos now that are out there where girls are stumbling on this like they just discovered uh, you know, Einstein's uh, theory of you know, special relativity or something really abstract. They're like, look, here's what I want to do. You might have seen this. I just want to wake up, make my husband breakfast. He goes off to work. I stay home. I beautify the home some, do a little laundry, and then maybe do a spin class or something. He comes home for lunch. I make him lunch. This is kind of a best case scenario, but it's very doable. I make him lunch. We chat a little bit. He goes back to work. I take a nap. I beautify the home a little more, maybe some reading or sewing or, or gardening. Begin making dinner. He comes home. We have dinner together. We go work out. This, this girl's working out like three times a day. But hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Just consult chapter, what is it, chapter six in this book. Nothing wrong with working out too much. And um, then we, we go to bed and wake up the next day, do it over again. What's wrong with that? And girls reading this TikTok or, or, or watching this TikTok uh, video and commenting on it are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is the thing. This is all of human history up until the great psyop of uh, first wave feminism becomes second wave feminism starting in like 1970. For all of human history, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, this has been the way. And these young girls are stumbling on it like they just discovered, you know, a working alchemy or the cure for cancer. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is brand new. It's not new. This is the old way. This is the way that humans have always done this. This is the way that men were built to function. This is the way that women were built to function. They should be at home, comfortable, protected. And, and in a different way, kind of there to be comfortable, comforting and protecting of men's hearts when they get home from facing the world. It's beautiful. Ask your husband. 
is precisely what's needed now. One married woman giving consult and comfort and advice and counsel to young married women or maybe even older married women that have, that have lost the path. So this is a book by a woman for women, and it's written with all of Steph's uh, uh, flavorful uh, tone of voice that people know and love. So Ask Your Husband release party will be next show. You people be good. Leave a comment. Please like and please subscribe if you haven't. God bless you. We will see you next time.